This is episode number 485 with Francine Rousseau, How to Find Love After 50. Hi, everybody. I'm Sandy Weiner, and welcome back to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late to go on your last first date, which is really the topic of today's podcast. And um, if you do want some support on your journey, not only did Francine write a book, but I've also written a book to help you find your lasting love. And it's called Becoming a Woman of Value, How to Thrive in Life and Love. It is filled with 30 chapters that um, all have exercises and steps to help you show up, stand up, and speak up and step more fully into your value because when you are that woman of value, you will attract a higher level partner. And I'm sure we'll get into that in today's podcast. So this week's tip that comes from the book is step number 15, be a lifetime learner. I believe, and I know Francine agrees with this, that one of the most important things we can do is to just always be in process of learning and growing and not only does it make you fill your life up with interesting things, but it makes you a more interesting person. And especially if you're out there dating, if you can share the last book you read, the course you took, I just went to an improvisation class, which was really fun and helped me step really out of my comfort zone. And so sharing things like that helps you to be a better dater. So my challenge to you this week is to find something that you've been wanting to learn and just do it. It doesn't have to be a big course. It can be a one-time thing. It can be a book you pick up, a book group that you join. Just get out there and keep growing that brain. And before I bring Francine on, one last thing, which is we have this fabulous Facebook group. It's called Your Last First Date. And it's for women over 40 who are interested in personal growth on their journey to their last first date. It is very different from most of the groups out there that are just places of complaints and victimhood and no real purpose. And this is a monitored group where you will get support. We want you to grow, not complain and stay stuck. So join us at your last first date. And now for my guest, I'm so excited to have Francine Rousseau here. She is the author of Love After 50, which I'm going to show you right here. It's a fantastic book. Um, I contributed to this book, which I was honored to do. And anybody who is dating after 50 should pick up this book. And she also wrote another book called They're Your Parents Too. She has a PhD in English literature, and she became a journalist who focuses on psychology, relationships, and social trends. She cut her teeth at The Village Voice, which I remember well. And she has gone on to write per, pretty much every publication from the Atlantic to the New York Times. She covered the Boomer Beat at Time Magazine for over 10 years. And her cover stories have appeared on Parade, Scientific American, and New York Magazine. She's with us today to talk about how to find love after 50. Welcome. Hello, Sandy. <laughs> and hello, everybody. <laughs> I loved your book and I, I was so honored that you reached out to me to contribute to the book and I've actually had clients reach out to me after reading my, my contributions in your book to, um, to hire me as a dating coach so I appreciate that that it's, it's really reaching a lot of people who often have given up hope to find love again and I know your story is quite interesting about 
love, losing love, finding love, losing love, finding love. So <laughs> tell, us, tell us a little bit about your story of finding love later in life. People hear my story and they say, oh, poor you, because I was unlucky enough to be widowed twice. And however, I was lucky enough to find love three times after that. I'm not by any means downplaying the devastation of being widowed, but all in all, I consider myself a very lucky person because some people never find one great love and I had three. However, my first in my first marriage, I was, a I was a big baby and there were a lot of issues. And I, there were 10 years between losing my first husband and marrying my second. And in those 10 years, I learned a lot. I, I dated too soon after being widowed. I wasn't healed. I dated the wrong people. I stayed in relationships too long. On many dates, I shot myself in the foot. But over time, I learned from my mistakes. And I grew. I grew a lot. And I, for example, people say, you know, you really need to be not desperate when you go on dates. Well, I was desperate. I was incredibly needy. And I, well, how do I do that? I am needy. And I can pretend, but that didn't work. So the thing I did to find something that was interesting or sustaining, I rediscovered my childhood love of cycling and I bought a bike. And whenever I was riding my bike along the Hudson River, I'm lucky enough have a river path, wind in my hair. I just felt fine. I didn't need anybody else. It just felt great. I could go out on a weekend. I didn't need a date. And everybody needs something. And I'm not going to say that I wasn't lonely. I still wanted a partner. I still missed having a partner, but I was okay. And in the first chapter of my book, which I call Do the Headwork, I talk about things like how to be okay, how to heal from your divorce or widowhood, how to make really some of the stuff you just talked about, Sandy, how to make yourself uh, a more interesting and self-sufficient person. So when you go on a date or when you're in a relationship, you have the best chance of being in a great relationship. I think that a lot of people would give up after being widowed or after being widowed twice. I mean, I, I know when you married Chris, he wasn't your type, right? His name was Chris, the second husband. Yes. And he was overweight. He was, you know, he was handsome. But when he got up from the table at the restaurant, you saw how big he was. And I think a lot of people would have stopped right there. And you gave him time and you cycled together and you did things that bound you together. And even though it was a short, relatively short marriage and he he died a lot of people would have given up after that and I think that you know often we, well we certainly miss all the chances we don't take and I think a lot of people think well if somebody's just going to get sick after I meet him and and fall in love with him is it worth the risk and so what would you say to people who who say that I would say if you're happy being partnered, then 
it's 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 worth the risk. And I have and I interviewed at least a hundred people, and most of them in happy couples in their 50s, 60s, 70s. And I interviewed them over five years. And in the course of those of those years, a couple of partners died. And there was not a single person who told me, wow, I should, I wished I hadn't had this incredible relationship. And some of them were interested in, depending on their age and their situation, some were interested in being partnered again, and some weren't. But the risk is not having love, not not having it and losing it. I mean, that old saw about it's better to have loved and lost. I have lived that. I am living it. I'm with a partner, Michael. We've been together five and a half years. I mean, we're incredibly happy together and it gets better and better the longer we're together. And, you know, eventually one of us will die. I'm 74. I'm Well, I'm about to turn 75 next month, trying to get used to it. He's 78, about to turn 79. And we don't know how many years we have left, but, and I, you know, it will be what it will be. So many of the people I spoke to who were in happy relationships in their 70s and in their 80s said to me, you know, we don't think about the future. We live every day and we hold each other and love each other. And it's so precious. Yeah, I love all the stories in your books. In your book, they're so, um, it's really what makes the book come alive. Like you, you, you know, you talk about certain things and then you illustrate with a story. And I, I personally have a client who had a terrible marriage and stayed way too long with somebody who treated her poorly. She was petrified to date again, fell in love with all the wrong people, kind of <laughs> did a lot of what you did. And then she did the work and she met a guy who lived three hours away, a little over three hours away. And most people wouldn't date somebody that far away, but he was willing to come to her. He stayed in a hotel for the first date. He was much older. He's about probably 15 years older. And she was in her 60s. He was close to 80. So it was, you know, big age gap. And, and at that stage in life, it's, it's a big change in lifestyle too. Right. But he was vibrant. He was brilliant. He's, he's a psychiatrist. So he was willing to, I mean, they fell in love really quickly. He was willing to move to her town, get recertified as a psychiatrist in this state. You know, it's like, he was willing to put all this effort in and he has cancer. He ha she came in knowing all these things, but I have never seen her happier. Their marriage, and I was lucky enough to be able to attend, the vows they exchanged were so beautiful because they were mature and they found a partner in each other that they never would have found, I think, had they met earlier. I think we sometimes find our best relationships later in life because we know each we know ourselves right look at look at all the changes you went through that's right and i i would say and i do say often in love after 50 that we do have our best relationships because we're more mature and we're capable and we know what's important 
You know, so many couples fight and bicker over things that aren't important. And I can't tell you the number of people who said to me something like this. He goes in the kitchen and when I come in, all the cabinet doors are open and it annoys me. But I think about how great our relationship is and I just let it go. Yeah. And the older we are, the more we let stuff go. And the more in terms of looking for a partner, one of the most important things to increasing your number of potential partners is to get rid of as many as those little boxes you've checked on a dating site. So it may, so that, you know, how far will you go for love? Some people won't cross a bridge, even though it's half an hour. Some people, you know, okay, it's 10 miles or it's 40 miles, whatever it is. And yet I have heard many stories of long distance, of relationships that started long distance. And yet these people ended up together. They, they made it work for them because they found something extraordinary. And sometimes it, the person doesn't fit into your box. People say to me, oh, there's just nobody appropriate in, in my area. And I'm thinking, what do you mean by appropriate? It's probably a bunch of boxes like certain income levels, certain college degree, you know, athletic, likes to travel. And you know what? It turns out that almost none of those things are important. I've talked to people who gave up those boxes and they found incredible love. So, you know, people say to me, I don't want to settle. And I think, okay, well, let's say you're with someone who doesn't check all those boxes and he really gets you and adores you and likes, wants to hear about your day and makes tender love to you and holds you close when life is really awful. Is this settling? I don't think so. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I have had people come to me and say, he must play golf. And I'm like, okay, so if you married him and he played golf now, and then he could, couldn't play golf anymore, would you divorce him? I mean, it's like we don't, we could find a, a friend to play golf with. We could find other people to do certain things, but that the intimacy that you get from partnership is not available on that list. And so, you know, I think, I think people do have unrealistic ideas about the traits that are important. Um, so let's let's focus a little bit on that. And before before I do, I, I, I had a date recently with a guy who told me that women have like gone on a first date walk with him and asked him how much money he made within the first 10 minutes of the walk. And I said, wow, that's really rude. <laughs> Just first <laughs> of all, like I would never do that. But he kept talking about I don't, I'm retired, I don't have a ton of money, but we also live in a place where a lot of people do. And so that's his own stuff. Like he shouldn't be talking about, I don't have the kind of income you're looking for. Right. I've had men tell me that, like, you know, I think you're probably looking for somebody who's got more money, is taller and has all these qualities. And I'm like, did I say any of those things? Cause you're making that up and that's your, limiting belief. So a lot of people come in with all women are looking for rich men, you know, all men are only looking for sex. These are all things that can keep us single. Yes. Well, I, there's, I have a chapter on having the right attitude, having a negative attitude 
believing that there's nobody good out there. All the good ones are taken. Nobody will ever find me attractive. I'm too old. All men are, are, are creeps like my ex. All of this puts a blinders over you. So it's a filter. So you see through this filter, and um, I believe you had a client who was like this, and she, she looked at the photographs and she thought none of them were any good until you worked with her, and she decided, and she met one, and it turned out he was great. He was cuter than his picture. You know, it, people need to be realistic and bo on both ends. Having a negative attitude will, will sabotage you. It'll be a self-fulfilling prophecy, but also living in a fantasy. Oh, I've, I've had two emails with this wonderful guy and you're marrying yourself off in your head. This will also cause you a lot of pain and hurt. So be, I would say, be open, be hopeful and be realistic and be resilient because you talk about having your last first state, but I think before that happens, you will have many, many, many first states. And that's that's part. This this is a process. It takes. I I have a friend who I helped through this process, and she had a zillion dates, and she had a couple of relationships, but they weren't right. And then she took a break for a year, and she went back online, and she met this incredible man, and now they're having they're fabulous together, just fabulous. It only takes it's one. <laughs> I think that people give up very quickly, they go on a few bad dates and they say dating sucks. I mean, I had, I had a guy on my, um, on my podcast who talked about how online dating is terrible and um, the only way to meet people is in person. And I disagreed with him. I said, especially as we get older, we need to open up opportunities to how we're meeting people, right? And so online dating can work. I am I am a total fan. I met all of my boyfriends and husbands online. At the beginning, when I was first widowed, I told a hundred people, I'd really like to meet someone. Do you know anybody to set me up with? I think I had two blind dates, both bad. And then I went online and there were literally hundreds of people who were possibles for me. And I, I had a zillion dates. I went on relationships. Now, my judgment, you know, was not always good, but that's my problem. The, because there were some great people out there that I just wasn't ready to meet for whatever reason. But, you know, people should, online dating is a process. And I have a chapter in, the, in Love After 50 about how to make it work for you. And I just showed a friend of mine last night. We went, I went on her, her match.com site and we did an advanced search, which is just a little squiggle you have to find. And we looked for people of a certain age, of a, you know, just to start, you know, it's not income, but a certain education. You know, some people wanted, she didn't care about religion, but we found all of these people who'd been recently active. And those were the people she was gonna to write to. She, maybe she was gonna write 20 letters. And if she got two or three back, that's great. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Music Unlimited. You can listen to over 70 million songs and thousands of playlists and stations. Plus, you can now stream your favorite podcasts like Last First Date Radio. 
You can listen to any song, anytime, anywhere, on any of your devices, your smartphone, your tablet, your PC or Mac, Fire TV, and any Alexa-enabled devices like the Amazon Echo. Get Amazon Music Unlimited for free for 30 days. Just head on over to getamazonmusic.com forward slash last first date to learn more and claim this offer. So you've got to continue and, and not give up hope because it's not happening fast enough. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a long process. You know, we can't go in, right. It's not like, like a sprint, you know, we just get in, Ooh, it's going to happen. It's a long process and you live your life while it's happening. You yeah. don't just give up everything else to start dating. Keep, Keep doing what you're doing. It does take work, especially at the beginning, all this stuff of setting up the profile and the photograph. And also, I say, pay very careful attention to the first couple of weeks, because when you get on there, you are a new face. Some of the same faces have been cycling around for months and you're new, you're fresh meat, and you're <laughs> going to get a ton of emails and don't dismiss them. If anybody is respectable, isn't, you know, sends you a respectful email, even if he, he doesn't interest you, put it aside or write a nice note saying maybe later. I, and because that's not going to, that's, that's going to stop. Soon you're going to be old meat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's, that's good advice. I think that um, people don't, they don't pay attention to their inbox. They don't always respond. I think a lot of people have an idea what their type is and it's not their type and they wouldn't date a person like that. And I, I, I agree with you. Like if you can open your parameters around the things that really matter, um, keep, keep really open about how you're going to find those. And, um, but like, don't, don't focus on the things that don't matter, which we often don't even know that they don't matter until we realize that we don't have a lot of dates. I mean, when I, when I first started dating again, after my divorce, I was only dating Orthodox Jewish men because I was Orthodox and Jewish. And I quickly found that I didn't really connect with a lot of them because I'm not a typical person who grew up Orthodox and Jewish. I have a much more open mind. I don't have a lot of biases. And over time, I stopped being Orthodox. I started opening up who I was dating. And then it became like, it didn't matter what race, what religion, be open if you can be. If you can't, if it's really against your principles, then don't be. Right. But, and I say, especially something like money, like I want somebody who can afford the same restaurants I go to. Well, you know what? I have talked to a lot of people who where the woman had more money and over time, as they fell in love or maybe lived together, or even got married, it became so much less important. One woman said, you know, he buys, he likes to buy the dinners and I buy the big season tickets to the LA ball, you know, season tickets to the theater. Um, and they don't, she said, we don't keep score. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So what does she treat? She doesn't care. She says, I have the money. He doesn't. I know he feels bad that in retirement, he doesn't have <clears throat> as much as he would like. That's okay. It's okay. We love each other. Yeah. It's also not a character trait. What, what yeah. is a character trait is if you have money and you're, you're stingy, you right. know, and if you, and so I, I think the thing to focus on is 
whether somebody has a generous heart, you know, and a generous spirit, because there are people who actually had a lot of money and lost it in the stock market or lost it in during COVID. There were a lot of people who lost their jobs. That doesn't, that's not a character issue. That was not something they had full control over it. What I also look for is somebody who is interested in rebuilding. Like if, if there's loss, how do they deal with it? How do they deal with crisis? And I look for people who have certain emotional qualities. Somebody, and I, and I think I advise people to think back and even write down what the character traits were in their exes if they had them that they don't want again and what were the positive ones that they do. For example, if, if your ex was emotionally unavailable, you write that on one side of a piece of paper and then, then the positive version, somebody who's emotionally giving and will share their feelings. And you end up with a whole list of things you want to look for that are positive. And if you get some of them, the most important ones, that'll work. Yeah, and none of the negative ones. <laughs> right. Um, so what are some of the emotional traits that make for a good partner? Well, it's individual. You know, some people like a lot of togetherness and a lot of physical contact and others need a little more or a little more self-sufficient and want a partner who's more self-sufficient. It's not, there's no one size fits all. Um, some people, really want to be together all the time and others want the freedom to pursue their own interests and see their own friends. Many, one of the great things about partnering at our age is we have built up whole lives. We have friendships, we have interests, we have people in our lives and we, we enter the relationship as equals with separate lives, some of which we may combine and some of which we may pursue on our own. One of the great things, and I have a chapter on dealing with the kids because that could be an issue, is you don't have to see your, go see your families together every Sunday. You don't have to go visit your son or daughter in Colorado if you live in New York together. Very often, couples have so many options about how they do this. And one of the options, I, I have a story in the book about a couple who met at a wedding. And over, over time, she lived in LA and he lived near in San Jose, which is quite a distance away. And they, they commuted weekends for years. And then they broke up and she was devastated. She hadn't realized how much she loved him. And when he asked to get back together, she said, I knew it would only work if we lived together. And they, they spent half their time in his house in San Jose and half their time, half a month at her house. And is it a pain in the butt? Yes. But she has, she says, this relationship is so important to me. I never realized how deeply fulfilling a relationship could be. And I am so grateful. And by the way, they rent out their houses on Airbnb and use the money they make to fund expensive travel. Oh, smart. <laughs> I love that story for a number of reasons. So it, mostly I think that again, when you, when you don't narrow down your vision for what relationship can look like, 
it opens up the space for the right one to come in and you don't discount someone based on some things that may seem like deal breakers. I, I know a married couple who lives in New York and Washington, DC. They get together for long weekends every weekend and that the rest of the time they don't see each other. But the honest truth is most people don't see each other much during the week when you're busy working. And you know, this way they have the chance to miss each other. They are so in love with each other after, I don't know, 30 some years. And, and there are a lot of people at this stage in life who also really want space, you know, like they can't even imagine having somebody live with them full time because they've been alone for a long time. And so the idea of, oh, we don't live together all the time, or, you know, like you have the living apart together. Um, yeah, so tell, tell us a little bit about that. Okay, you get together, you love each other, and you have the option of deciding do you want to get married? Do you want to cohabit? Or do you want to each live in your own home and see each other very frequently, which is called, which the Europeans call lats or living apart together. And all of the research has found that people who live apart together are just as happy and fulfilled as those who don't. And it you have to ask yourself, what's your emotional situation? What's your legal and financial situation? What's your situation with your kids? What will work for you? And so many people, they don't have the same style of living. One woman says, I have an apartment out of like a magazine spread. And my, my partner lives in a little dump and he eats soup from a can. I set a gorgeous table. This, we, we realized that we, if we lived together, we would break up. Meanwhile, they've been together now for 15 years. They're incredibly happy. They talk every single day, sometimes twice a day. They see each other four times a week, mostly at her place. And it works for them. And everybody has to decide what will work for us. There was a woman who was not living with her partner for five years. He really wanted to live together. His house was a mess. He was a hoarder. He had what she called a big hairy dog. She hated dogs. So they bought a, a giant suburban house with a huge finished basement. His dog and his stuff are in the basement. She never goes there. And they live in her part of the house on her rules. No socks on the floor, no dog. They're very happy. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, we, we have to be realistic and we have to know ourselves and we have to know what works for us. This seems to be a common theme. <laughs> um, what are some of the challenges that uh, people face when they're dating at this stage in life? We've talked about a little, a few of them, but I'm just curious if you can, if there are any others that we missed. Well, the, the challenges I think are simply being the biggest challenge is being flexible and giving up certain entrenched beliefs. I can only be with this kind of person, or I need somebody my kids will like, or, you know, probably most of our parents are dead. We, we don't have to bring a Jewish doctor home for mama. Um, we can please ourselves. So, but I think there are more opportunities at our age than there are challenges. Because we don't waste a lot of, we know what, who we are. 
we know what we want. We um, have all these options about how we're going to have a romantic relationship, whether we marry or don't marry or, you know, or live together or don't live together. And we know what's important. And if we don't yet know what's important, this is, I'm hoping your book and my book will help people realize that a lot of the things in a partner they thought were important just don't matter at all. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that, um, again, back to attitude, mindset, which you talk about a lot in the book is the most important thing. It's, it's, we always look outside ourselves and say, what's wrong with dating? What's wrong with online dating? What's wrong with men? What's wrong with women? I'm a unicorn. I'll never find someone because I'm so special. <laughs> like there's nobody out there for me. All the good ones are taken or dead or gay <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, we can, we can say all those things. It doesn't help us. And I think when no, it you, doesn't. you're yearning for connection, this is such an important thing that we need in, in life. I mean, especially the, the pandemic has shown us more than ever before that that we need people in our lives, that we really need to have that social interaction and to have to have intimacy. And yet it really eludes so many people. Yes, yeah, some people worry about sex, especially if they haven't had sex for a very long time. And especially if they're in their late 60s or 70s or 80s, and people say, oh God, I, I, how can I get dressed in front of somebody? Well. You know what a 70-year-old body looks like, and he knows what a 70-year-old body looks like, and you turn the lights down low, and if you're really into each other, you it will be wonderful. And also, one of the wonderful things in my chapter on sex and making it work for you, I talk about creating a new model of sex, which isn't necessarily about intercourse. If intercourse and Viagra work for you, great. A little lubricant, a little Viagra when you're younger, that's fine. When you're older, you need to talk to each other and say, look, this is what I need. This is what hurts. This is what I can do. This is what I can't do. Let's explore. Now, I, I personally have discovered pleasures that I did not know existed. And I am thrilled. Whether whether we do the do or we we do the, this other stuff, I am thrilled. And people, people, I've talked to some sex therapists who are wonderful and elderly and wise. And they, here's a story. Um, couple goes into a ther sex therapist's office. He's had issues and he can't have an erection. She says, he's lost interest in me. He says, no, I, I've lost interest in sex. And the therapist says to him, how do you know you've lost interest in sex? And he says, well, how do you know you're interested in sex? Well, my penis is hard. Well, what if your penis isn't hard? What if your wife gives you oral sex? Why would she want to do that if I'm not hard? And the wife says, that would be better because then I wouldn't feel like I was choking. And the therapist says, well, here's your assignment for the next week. Go home and just have let your wife give you oral sex until you think it's not pleasurable. And it comes in the next week crowing, saying, did you know a man can have an orgasm even if he can't have an erection? 
hello. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> That's a great story. I, I, I know a couple who have that happened to them. He, he had diabetes and he wasn't taking care of his health. He was overweight and he could not have an erection, but they discovered oral sex together. And it was funny because she, she was a client of mine at the time and she called me up and said, I, I don't know what to do. I've never done this. And a lot of people who've been in 40, 50 year marriages that ended have never had oral sex, have no idea what to do. And there's so much to explore. Many people have vanilla sex or no sex. And hey, it's I like, have a friend who showed me how to do it with a banana oh. when I was much younger. <laughs> we have to learn from something somewhere, you know, <laughs> not, not everybody has the full knowledge sexually, the full spectrum of what's out there. I, I had reconnected with a, an ex-boyfriend and I talked about it recently in another podcast interview. He and I were high school sweethearts and he had been studying Tantra and was recently divorced. This was right after I got divorced and was starting to date. And I had actually been seeing someone, but he wanted to come in and see me. And I wasn't exclusive with this other guy. So I thought, oh, this could be fun. But I didn't have trust built and I couldn't really go there. But he sent me a book on Tantra and it was like, oh, this is really interesting. <laughs> and so it opened my eyes to what was possible. And I think that, you know, what Tantra really focuses on touch and non-orgasmic, you know, non-genital non orgasms, like really being able to have like full body experiences. And I think there's just so much to explore so much out there and, and we need to open our minds and our hearts, which is the, the theme here. Um, so let's say um, people are like listening to this and they're like, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to believe all of these things Francine is saying, but I just keep getting rejected. I don't go on second dates. I, I'm just totally feeling dejected. What would you have to say to that person? Well, I, first of all, not going on second dates, I say redefine rejection, especially online, because there are so many reasons why somebody is not interested in a second date with you. And I say make a list of all the reasons having nothing to do with you or something wrong with you, why this person did not want a second date. Um, and it, the, the list could look like this. Um, first, um, he was dating somebody else and they decided to be exclusive. Two, he had a crisis with his kids. Three, um, you were incredibly warm and wonderful. And this guy is only turned on by women who are cool and aloof or even mean. Chemistry is everything. You either connect or you don't connect. And you can connect on something like you both came from big families and he teases you like your older brother. There's so many emotional connections that are mysterious. You will never figure out why, but it isn't because your hair was this way, not that way. It's, and so you, it's not about you and you just keep trying. Now, if, if nobody ever wants to see you again, then they, Sandy, they need you. They need some coaching. Right. 
Right. Sometimes it is you. I think that, you know, you are the common denominator, but most of the time people ghost, it's, it's sort of the online dating protocol, you know, like you just, you don't know why and, and asking why. So I, I agree with you, redefining rejection. If somebody doesn't know you, they can't really be rejecting you. <laughs> They're rejecting the idea of you or how you showed up. And, right. um, and so a lot of people feel very shameful. They've been told by matchmakers or other dating coaches that they need to change their look. I had a client who was told by a matchmaker that she needed to wear contacts and that she would never attract a man who wasn't 10 years young, older, and that she, had, he, she gave her all these external uh, right. you know, suggestions that were really basically saying there's something wrong with you and you're damaged good. So don't expect any man to want you unless you do these things. And I think that's a terrible way to approach dating. I think you might agree, <laughs> but I do. I do right. Uh, but I do believe that we, we often make up stuff in our heads and immediately blame ourselves. And so there's that balance between blaming yourself and being able to really see the truth that you, maybe you right. are coming across as cold. Maybe you're bringing too much of your baggage to the dates. Maybe you are um, future projecting too quickly. Or maybe you've asked the guy how much money he makes. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or how big he is or how much, I mean, men, men will say things like, are you still sexual at this age? Before they even meet you. And it's yeah. like, you know, you're trying to read the last chapter of the book before we even have opened the book. Right. And it's like, I understand your desire to, under, to know that because maybe you've dated people who weren't sexual anymore. But that's not a good question to ask. Right. It's, uh, it's the wrong timing. And yeah, it would be great if we could have a guarantee that everybody is really healthy emotionally and sexually active and doesn't have any underlying illnesses and can check all those boxes. But really what we're looking for is a chemical and emotional attraction and compatibility to a person which you don't know by reading a profile and you don't know after one date, you know? And so we really need to get to know people to see who they really are. One of the, one of the favorite people in my book was a woman who said, um, I'm, I was, I'm a sophisticated New York Jewish, but secular woman, very secular, very sophisticated. And I met this guy and he was a rube from Arkansas. He, yeah, you know, he was smart and had an advanced degree, but he was relig Christian, religious. It was a real turnoff, but we had such a connection. She said it took a lot of personal growth on my part to re go beyond my comfort zone and try this guy out. And they've been living together for almost 20 years now. And they, they, they describe each other as soulmates. And that's a wonderful thing. And she, I was so impressed with her saying, I, I have to grow enough to be able to reach beyond my comfort zone. And I think all of us need to do that. I think that's so true, which um, brings me to my final question. And, and this is kind of, you sort of partially answered it, but any final words of advice for anyone who wants to go on their last first date? I would say... 
Yes, go in feeling open and hopeful and willing to take a chance. You will have many, many, many first dates and it will take time. Feel free to take a break, go back. You can go back to a different website if you want. Maybe you'll see new people, but give it time and keep trying and don't blame yourself. And you know, the more you grow personally, the likelier you are to connect with somebody great. So keep working on yourself and you will find the right person. Yeah, I, I agree. And read your book, <laughs> Love After 50. You can see how many little tabs I have here. There's so many gems <laughs> in this book. It's really fantastic. So it's called Love After 50, How to Find It, Enjoy It, and Keep It by Francine Rousseau. How can people find you, your books, all your writing, all the good stuff? My book can be found anywhere online, Amazon, or any of the other book sites, um, indie books, wherever. And by the way, I am so I am so pleased and gratified because I've got like 88 four and five star reviews and people writing how wonderful and readable and deep the book is and so much better than other books on the subject. That makes me feel great. Um, but I also have a website, francinerusso.com. And um, people can connect with me there. Fantastic. Well, thank you for this wonderful conversation. I am energized. I know our audience is probably thinking, oh, I've got so many great ideas now. So thank you. Your book was fantastic. You're fantastic. And very, you know, yeah, thank you. Right back at you. <laughs> thank you so much. And um, for everyone listening, thank you for, for tuning in as always. You've kept our show alive for almost nine years. This is kind of crazy that we're still doing this after nine years before podcasting was even a thing. So thank you for your support. If you love our show, please rate and review and subscribe to the show. It really helps us continue to grow and get fantastic guests like Francine. And as always, here's to your last first date. If you are ready to get unstuck, gain new tools, become more empowered, and finally find your last first date, I'd love to talk to you. Fill out an application to be considered for a complimentary half-hour love breakthrough session at lastfirstdate.com forward slash application. That's lastfirstdate.com forward slash application. I look forward to talking to you soon.